licensed professional counselor. And today I have with me Ariel Hatton. Ariel, do you mind sharing a little bit about yourself so everyone on the podcast can know more about you? Absolutely. Um, As you said, my name is Ariel. I have been a nurse for coming up on eight years. Um, I got my bachelor's from UCF, my associate's from Seminole State College. I'm currently in my grad program for my master's for my family nurse practitioner with University of South Florida. Um, I've been working in the same organization for the same eight years from start to now. And, you know, I'm looking forward to moving from the bedside to being a uh, provider. Yeah, I imagine it's been um, quite a journey over eight years. I guess you mind sharing a little bit about like what made you want to go from working on the bedside to advancing your degree degree and becoming more of a provider rather than a, a nurse. I don't know how to say it differently. Sorry. <laughs> oh, no, that's okay. Yeah. Um, it was kind of gradual for me. I think I watched a lot of nurses when I started go from excited nurses to being kind of sullen, angry people And I recognize that as being burnout. And I definitely hit a burnout level with my first uh, area of practice. I used to just work with adults. I worked on a progressive care unit. It was kind of like a catch-all, be-all. You know, we got the, we called them walkie-talkie patients that came in with just a chest pain rule out all the way to the nursing home total care patients. And it taught me a vast scope of nursing that I will always cherish, but it's, you know, over time, very exhausting physically, mentally, emotionally. A lot of stories I still remember kind of traumatic, like um, traumatic deaths or just things like that. So I completely reversed course and moved to postpartum nursing which is all about, you know, right after the newborn is delivered, taking care of the mom after delivery until three to five days and she goes home. So that renewed my excitement in nursing. And then somewhere around my first year in, I realized, okay, it wasn't just the type of nursing. I just was ready to elevate myself from to a different level. And I've always thought that I would go into school to be a provider in that sense. So it just was kind of a gradual sliding into grad school, which I don't know how you do that, but I did. So that that was my, my course. Okay. You know, something that you mentioned um, during that was the word trauma. And then I was thinking about how every healthcare provider, whether you're a therapist or a nurse, or probably even like the intake, like person at the front desk of an emergency room, like experiences secondary trauma. Like we may not have gone through whatever our patient has gone through, but we're experiencing it in this very intense secondhand way. And I'm curious as a nurse, how have you seen that show up for yourself and maybe other providers around you? Oh man. I mean, if you're not witnessing trauma from the patients and the stories that come in, Um, just as an example, this is why I cannot see myself doing pediatric care. I mean, with the rise of COVID, I've had plenty of nurses tell me how, you know, and administrators saying they saw higher levels of, you know, infant mortality or drownings or 
the number one being child abuse, um, because these kids were home more often with their parents. And I mean, you put two and two together, if they're in a bad family home, school is an escape. So that's a level of nursing I just can't do. No peds. I like a newborn or a teen, nothing in between. Um, But other than that, nurses also deal with themselves a lot of violence from their patients. Um, Whether it's a totally cognizant person who's just talking to you as if you're nothing or a drunk patient who you have to, you know, sedate or just a confused patient, you know, demented um, Alzheimer's patients are very, you know, violent sometimes because they're confused and you have to sometimes find the line of a confused patient who's not trying to hurt you, but it's still violence and a patient who is just being violent. And, you know, I dealt with all, all three, you know, I dealt with the very mentally ill um, needing to be restrained and actually hitting me physically hitting me. I've dealt with just a patient who, you know, didn't want to be there and they were, and they wanted to cuss me out. And then I've dealt with people being racist towards me. It's, it's been a mixed bag. So nurses, we kind of accept that we're going to see people at their worst, but accepting it and living it is different. Yeah, I think when I was in school, going through a textbook and learning about how patients may or may not be, and then actually witnessing how patients can be, it's very different. And I don't really think anything can really prepare you for that until you're like right there in the room with them. Yeah. And it's, I don't think people understand the scope of which healthcare providers really like take the burden of managing people at their worst. Um, You know, I've worked in a mental health hospital um, that was for people who were suicidal and homicidal. And I've definitely seen my fair share of patients attacking like staff members or attempting to hurt themselves, like in front of a group of people, like it, it could all be, very traumatic. I've been bitten. I've been hit. Like, you know, the stories could be potentially endless. We won't go into all of that right now, but I don't think they're given or yeah. Anyone in the health field is really like given the full credit that they deserve for putting up, not putting up, but being able to tolerate and manage people at their worst. Yeah. It's definitely, you know, I used to, I began to realize that once you cross the threshold of a patient's door, it's like going into their house. It's a very intimate personal space that only you and that patient share, but you and the other members of the medical team who have been in the same room. And I've always been able to kind of manage by being empathetic with people. You know, you have so many people that come in and out of that space that's yours when you're in the hospital. You know, it could feel like violating. So I've tried to understand it that way. I've still, you know, incurred and endured a lot of violence, but it just is unfortunately a byproduct of healthcare that we need to do better for the providers and the nurses on that side. Yeah. I think that kind of leads me to another thing that I've been seeing a lot in the health field is compassion fatigue and burnout. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Hot topic. Yeah. So I'm curious if your even program has addressed this because, you know, when I was in school, 
to be a therapist, compassion fatigue was talked about in like a broad sense, but we also weren't going through like a major crisis in our, you know, society. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm curious if your schools touched on that and you know, what's well, happening. I definitely say if we're going from my like nursing program, my base program, we touched on it lightly, you know, that it is something that providers go through. But in my grad program, I would say, you know, when they edit course materials a little bit to reflect the times, that definitely got tossed in a little bit more, um, especially in light of uh, the COVID. <laughs> As I call it, the COVID. Um, COVID presented a lot of challenges in the mental or mental health field, but also the healthcare system that we just didn't have a lot of lifeboats for. Um, and especially on the medical team, um, providers, nurses, um, you know, we have to also talk about the other personnel in the hospitals, not just the nurses, it's the respiratory therapists, it's the EVS, it's anyone that comes in contact with those patients, basically, um, compassion fatigue is huge, you know, just every day coming in to provide all of that emotional capital to a patient who's so severely ill and sometimes it for the for me personally I can't speak for every nurse it wasn't really the patient that I got compassion fatigue for it was the family um you have to try so hard to separate yourself from taking on all of that weight you know this is their son mother father daughter whoever to them and you're trying to do your job. And sometimes that means separating a little bit of that emotion, but they want to see that you care and love for that person the same way they do. And there's just, I don't want to say it's impossible, but it's improbable that you can do that for three to six to eight patients, whatever specialty you're on day in and day out, three days a week, especially with how long nurses spend with their patients. It's 12 hours a day, sometimes 13 or 14, um, three days a week. That's a whole work week of just mental and emotional labor. So compassion fatigue, I will say it's not talked about enough yet, but I think after the COVID Um, it will be highlighted as like a main course of the topic because of it. Yeah, I really think, you know, obviously in the mental health field, therapists are maybe more prone to talking about their mental health than other providers. Um, But I've definitely had like nurses um, and PAs and kind of come in during this time and be like, I have never been so stressed out like in this position than I have in the 13 years I've been in it or the 20 years that I've, you know, held to this work. And it can be really, I guess, abrupt too. In the beginning, like I had a client that was a nurse and she was working as like a gastrointestinal um, nurse at the hospital. And suddenly her whole job title got shifted and she was like on the COVID, like, Oh yeah. Task force. And yeah. just kind of being thrown into that really like kind of set her in this like mental tailspin because like now your job title has changed overnight and you don't even really know how to do your new job. And what's crazy is nurses go through, and I don't know if people are aware, nurses go through so many um, unspoken job changes throughout their career. I mean, it really starts with resources in the hospital 
And the sooner you start to lose resources, those nurse job titles change immediately. So not just talking about the fact that she went from a GI specialized nurse to now she's being a COVID task force nurse. You had PCU nurses who were being pulled to ICU to be basically like ICU-ish nurses because there were things they couldn't do, but they had one ICU nurse managing a PCU nurse managing patients. And it just, it became the style of team nursing, team nursing that we left in the past because it was unsafe, but we had to bring it back because we just didn't have the resources. And um, I don't want to speak on something I didn't experience. I wasn't pulled in to be a COVID task force nurse. By the time COVID hit, I was on postpartum and I was in nurse management or I still am. So I saw a little bit in postpartum. We did get some moms who were COVID positive, but just the area I was in, I was a little shielded because they were not severely sick. Those had to go to a specialized ICU for women. But at the same time, all of my friends were on that previous PCU and they were telling me about it. And, you know, I think sometimes as nurses, we feel unheard because the ancillary team support that we would have was stripped away with COVID. Oh, you know, you don't have EVS going into the room because they want to reduce the number of people going in there. So now the nurses have to flip the room or they pull the linen and stuff. They may not physically clean it, but you went from just nursing to like, okay, I got to do the EVS. And now you have nurses now actually doing the respiratory treatments for patients because there's not enough respiratory therapists. And so your job title is just constantly becoming like a catch-all. And it's, it's very hard. I, I feel really bad for new nurses right now because they're coming into something that is like so many odds are stacked against them or excuse me already because just learning to be a nurse is hard. Um, and now you're telling new, new nurses, Hey, you're also EBS. You're also respiratory. You're also this. And the doctor may not come in the room. So you have to have be really sharp with your assessment skills if you want to get that patient help. Yeah. Yeah. I imagine it can be really difficult because you might be like, I would imagine like faced with a question by somebody and you're like, Oh, I don't even know what I was just doing because I was doing like five things at once. And so I imagine it's even difficult to like collect your thoughts in that kind of environment. Yeah, it really is. I mean, you as the nurse are always considered the central hub. And I know I, I watched I I felt lucky that I could compartmentalize some things that I took from my job. And when I came home, I left it at the door. But I watched many nurses come in behind me that they had to no longer work on my unit because of such increased anxiety while working and before work that like it was causing a huge toll on their mental health. Um, they were so worried they were going to make a mistake and that they were going to hurt someone or be fired that they just could not leave that kind of stuff at the door. And I mean, it's different than, okay, this just isn't for you. These were like capable men and women who any other job would have excelled, but that pressure of the nursing and, or having one doctor who just talked to them wrong or made them feel this big, you know, they just couldn't handle it anymore. And, um, 
it, it's always been interesting for me to see the different personalities that are good with nursing and the ones that you think would be good, but they're just, they couldn't. Um, so I, I've, I've seen a lot, <laughs> you know, as far as staffing and patient care related. Yeah, I guess like what has really helped you manage your, you know, level of emotional stability over the past eight years, like yes, COVID, but I imagine there was things even before that, that kind of needed to be emotionally managed. What has helped you deal with that? Um, I think for me, I mean, my mother, she was never a nurse, but she did, uh, she was a nurse assistant for most of her life, LPN, step down medical tech. She's not all those. Um, I think growing up, I've always seen her tell me, you know, you can only do the best you can with what you have. And I've always gone into nursing with the mindset that like, it's a 12 hour job or however long you're there whatever's left over, you have to leave it. I am someone who takes my job very seriously. So I kind of had to train myself before starting that, hey, um, you may not be able to do everything, but you have to let it go. I wanted to be the best every day I came into work. So in order to do that, I had to learn to leave stuff where they are. As soon as I got in my car, those windows went down, the music got turned up high, the scrubs got burned in the garage. (laughs) Um, you know, Netflix turned on, you know, I had a significant other at the time I would vent a little bit if I needed to, and then move on. Like, and that's kind of how I made it through the rougher times of working on PCU. Um, I think nurses usually end up dating people in medicine because that's the easiest people to vent to. I have a different idea. I didn't want to date anyone in medicine because I wanted to be taken out of it. So the nurses that I worked with, we vented all day. And then when I went home, it's not that you're never not a nurse, but I was as close to not being one as I could. You know, I didn't even watch medical shows because they're infuriating when you actually work in medicine. (laughs) Um, I just would do any and everything to kind of take my mind off of things. Yeah. Yeah, I think you know, as a therapist, I worked in some pretty rough jobs in the beginning, seeing some pretty unsettling things, let's say that. Um, And you really do have to like leave it there at the job because it could easily sleep in or seep into like nightmares or worrying constantly about what's going to happen next. Yes. Did I do enough? Like, how can I help this person? Like, even though the help that they need is like way outside of the scope of what you can provide. <laughs> and yeah. it, you yeah. really do have to let yourself like off the hook a little bit. And for sure it, it's, you know, I think some professions we hold ourselves to such a high standard and we're so tough on ourselves. I would definitely add therapists in that. Um, um, anyone who really works in the business of people, they, we tend to hold ourselves to a really high standard because we want to be the best for people that we come across. And if you don't have an outlet, oof, it, it will wear you down very fast. Yeah. I don't think anyone went to school to help people to do a bad job at helping people. Exactly. Like, man, I can't wait to suck at bedside nurse. <laughs> yeah, no, um, it definitely, you, hopefully you go in, um, with that compassion, um, but I think you have to learn to guard it a little bit um, when it's appropriate because you, at the same time, you want to be compassionate. You don't want to 
overdo it all the time. Like I also knew nurses who every time their patient cried, they cried. And there's nothing wrong with that intrinsically, but like it, it, you're going to exhaust yourself very quickly. Um, you hug your patient if you're comfortable with that. You talk them through it. But if you cry with every single patient, you, <laughs> yeah. you're going to real fast. Yeah. I remember I had a job one time that I only worked there for three days. Okay. And I think I saw every single therapist on the staff cry within those first three days. And I was like, I can't be here. (laughs) (laughs) Like, this is too much. This is like not, it didn't seem like a healthy environment to keep myself in long term. um, If the emotions were not being coped with, it seemed in like a healthy and effective way. Yeah, I totally get it. I I really do. It just, you have to put yourself in positions and environments that are going to be good for you. And I think another aspect, this is a good one that um, nurses don't talk about enough is the level of support they feel that they get from their administration and management. And I've had the ability to be on both ends And I can definitely see the flaws, the heavy flaws in what should be support of nursing that actually is more punitive and business-sided of healthcare. You know, um, I'll never forget uh, running my my ass off um, with patients and being pulled to the side and saying, hey, you know, I noticed you didn't update your whiteboard. (laughs) And I was like, girl, are you serious? I just like coded somebody, did trait care, did all these things and you're mad about a whiteboard. And those are memes for nurses. You know, like we (laughs) fun of that all the time, like pizza parties and stuff, but that's because that's what we get. You know, we, we get told you're doing a good job or you're a hero and all those things, but you don't feel appreciated if someone only brings up that you didn't take an expo marker and write your name on a board. So, and I think a a lot of some of the nurse burnout and mental health issues that we've seen is because of the friction you feel from your management team. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious how you think nursing has kind of like changed even like maybe let's say during COVID and like pre COVID and maybe even like, what it would have been like diff- different like 15 or 20 years ago? I think um, I can see some good and bad ways that COVID helped um, with nursing. It exposed a lot of flaws in the worst way. So I don't even want to say it helped because it definitely hurt us. Um, I think in some organizations, there was a lot of waste um, of resources and products And when COVID came around, that got nipped in the bud. But as far as helping, that's probably where it ends. Everything else after that has been, you know, a hurt to the nursing workforce. Whether nurses have gotten sick and can no longer be a nurse. I mean, I think people spend so much time on the mortality of COVID. They don't think about the longevity of COVID. You don't always die. Um, In fact, most people do survive COVID, but... Um, they get COVID long hauler syndrome, which is where like you suddenly you're a runner and you can't like walk up the stairs without being out of breath. 
And a lot of nurses left the workforce because they can't physically do it anymore after they caught COVID. Um, I mean, there's the mental drain, of course, if you're on a COVID ICU or a COVID PCU and day in and day out, you're watching people die a horrible death um, who can't see their loved ones through a video and you're doing that day in and day out. There's that. But I think the politicization, politicization, I probably said that wrong, um, of COVID has made it 10 times harder to do an already difficult job. So you go into work in your COVID ICU and then you see person A online who could be your family member, who could be your significant other, unfortunately, saying like COVID's not real. You know, they're making it up. You see one example of nurses on a unit on TikTok, you know, doing a dance. So now people take that video and they say, oh, nurses don't do anything. They're dancing. There's no COVID people dying. You know, and then you have legislators telling you that you're a hero, but you don't feel any actual support from that term. You just get told that. I mean, there's a full blown assault on healthcare now, I feel like, as opposed to 20 years ago, because everyone has a platform to talk about it with Facebook or Instagram. And people use those tools to create whatever narrative they want. Whether it's the correct narrative and it's a nurse telling her experience, his or her experience about what they deal with and they're educating. It's the, you know, legislator who thinks that COVID is not real and they're taking a TikTok dance saying that it's not. So it has been for most people where I'm standing, it's been extra frustrating to see how that plays out on all sides of, of the conversation. I am not a nurse, but I find even like the questioning of science to be extremely frustrating. Yes. Um, you know, when I first started school, I was a biology major and then like a health science major. No, what was it called? I don't know. It was like in the school of public health. I can't even remember what my major was before I changed it finally. But regardless, I took a lot of like science heavy courses. And then for people to argue science, I found it to be extremely infuriating, even though I'm not in a science heavy, like current career, like position. So I'm curious, you know, how people in nursing whose job relies heavily on the science of the body, how that impacted, um, yeah, the culture. (laughs) Well, I think so many nurses, uh, left because of that. They could no longer be around and do a job that was so difficult while being told that one, it didn't exist and two, that they were wrong for what they were doing. Um, You know, just an anecdotal story. I had a friend giving COVID vaccines and she was outside. Um, It was kind of a drive up COVID vaccine or COVID swabbing. And she said there were quite a few people that drove by saying, it's not real. It's a hoax. It's a scam. And she was like, what the hell is going on with this world? Like I'm doing a public service and like people really took the time to do that. And the, the weirdness of it all though, is that there are nurses who say this kind of stuff too. There are nurses who won't get the COVID vaccine And I don't want to get into such a hotly contested issue on whether you want to get the vaccine or not, but their reasons for not getting the COVID vaccine, I get concerned with 
Um, I, I am personally not for making someone force a decision. Um, however, it's very difficult when nursing should be a, what's the word I'm looking for? It should be a common thought type of profession. Like most of us should think the same thing about something because science is so irrefutable in some aspects. Yeah. But it's not the case. I mean, I've probably met more, uh, I guess, what you would call anti-vaccine nurses than I ever have in my whole life since COVID started. And I was just kind of like, wait, where were you guys hiding? Like, <laughs> we were just yeah. talking in the break room about science and now you're all of a sudden talking against it. And it, it just, it was, a, it was shocking. So I think for, again, nurses like myself, it was a shock to see nurses like that to see people irrefute science like that. And it's just, it's made it even harder to do your job sometimes because the person beside you might be criticizing you for doing that job. Yeah. I imagine it kind of really created a, like a divide amongst nurses. It's like, what do I want to say in therapy, in the world of mental health, I should say there's some like pre established ideals that I assume most therapists hold. And if one of those was like put into question, I'd imagine there would be an uprising uh, in the field of mental health. So I would think that's kind of what it felt like for there to be this chasm that developed. Yes. I mean, even now I, you know, like I said, I'm in more of a nurse management role, (laughs) Well, sometimes I'm like, eee. but I, I take, I take the role and make the best out of it um, and try to be the manager for nurses that I wanted when I was a nurse. So that's a good part. But even now, you know, the organization I'm working with, they don't have a vaccine mandate, but it's been whispered and talked about for a very long time. And I already know, I, I think someone's already made a list of all these nurses that would potentially leave and walk out and quit if they were told they have to get the vaccine. And as someone who decided of my own accord to get the vaccine, because it made sense to me with what I had seen, what I had experienced and the science and mortality of COVID that this would be the best step. I was quite shocked at how long that list is. And, um, Another aspect, I have a political group on Facebook that I run myself just to kind of have a, I don't want to say a safe space, but like a a common ground for people to discuss hot issues. I've seen people in that group saying like, you know, as a nurse, how could you be against a mandate? Like, you know, I wouldn't want a nurse who's not vaccinated taking care of me. And I was like, ooh, you don't want to say that because- We already don't have enough nurses. And if you want to remove the ones who are not vaccinated now, you might not have anyone taking care of you. And be careful what you wish for, because if you come in the ER with chest pain, I don't think it's going to matter anymore if that nurse was vaccinated or not. And I'm not giving a reason why it shouldn't be a thing. You know what I'm saying? I'm just saying you don't want to exacerbate an already exacerbated issue. Yeah, I imagine that goes for like a lot of fields, right? Like, oh, you know, with teachers, for example, I know specifically Florida has a huge 
teacher shortage problem. Like teachers can't even take a day off because there's not enough subs. Right. Um, And Oh, we're from both from Florida. So that's why I'm speaking about Florida specifically here. Um, And I know a little bit more about it, but yeah, I imagine if you're like, Oh, I don't want my kid taught by someone who's not vaccinated. I'm like, well, there goes like half the teachers. Yeah. And I mean, you can, lament the fact that more people aren't vaccinated and you want them to be but at the end of the day like i i'm just the mechanics of it all like even with every vaccine on the every vaccine mandate on the planet you cannot physically hold someone down for one vaccine let alone two vaccines if they're going to do pfizer or moderna so at the end of the day there needs to be some middle ground that we have um in regards to it because if you start saying all the people you don't want performing care or teaching you, you're, you're going to end up just not having it at all. And I think people don't realize how real that is, um, how short we are with nurses and all hospital staff. Um, Cause in those places and spaces, that's where you need all the people on board because if you're going to the hospital, it's not for a runny nose. You know, like you need care right now by competent professionals It's very quickly. Um, and people have to think about like that may not be an adult. That might be a kid or a baby. So that's where I'm at on it. You know, it, it has been very difficult to see the anti-science rhetoric and sentiments from people I work with and people outside of work. But I've just kind of taken it with like, this is where we are now. Yeah, some more of a place of acceptance and tolerating any distress it could potentially cause you for potentially like the greater good of the hospital and of the community who relies on that hospital. Yeah, um, we, I'll never, one of the most um, interesting times in nursing school that I remember is when we talked about crisis nursing and how in a mass, um, casualty situation that could be anything um how you would have to operate as a nurse to get through it and basically the goal is to save as many people as possible um and it was very visual for me because you know i'm thinking of like some gray's anatomy like plane crash and the whole hospital's outside i don't watch gray's anatomy but i know enough about it (laughs) and the goal is to always save as many people as possible so if you pass by someone who has like a penetrative injury that you know will kill them you have to pass them by um and i remember my teacher saying you know back in the day they would give all the nurses or people black markers and they would put an x on the forehead because they didn't want their resources going to someone who literally could not be saved quickly and the way i see it when it comes to vaccine mandate anti-vaccine our goal should be to save as many people as possible And without the whole black X on forehead visual, um, you kind of have to swallow some pills that people may not have the vaccine taking care of you, but they're able to take care of more people if they're working. So that's, that's really why I'm where I'm at with that. It's all about helping more people. Yeah. Oh, I have so many thoughts, but I wanted to ask you a question about how you think outside of like the political sphere, but maybe like the access to information and like social media has 
impacted the field of nursing. Just as a side example, like today I talked to my doctor and was like, so I was Googling something. And she's like, I hate when patients say that because it stresses me out. (laughs) So like, I appreciate you admitting that you Googled something, but like, let's actually like talk about it in a way that's, you know, based on medical science, not what you found on the internet. (laughs) Yes. And I mean, as someone who also Googles still, um, I think everyone is always going to Google and you can't take Google away from people. But what I wish more people understood is all information on the internet is not educational literature and all information on the internet digested by someone without certain credentials is not always good. So if I go on WebMD for a dry cough and I leave thinking it's cancer, I should not think it's cancer. I should realize, let me go to the medical professional who's been taught years of cancer presentation who can perform testing to rule out cancer presentation to help me condense that so that I'm not always scared. And I, I just feel like with the rise of social media in the year 2021 or 2016, whatever, you know, millennial generation we want to pick, um, people just take all of that information on the internet and they think they alone can digest it. And there's a little bit of ego there because, you know, what makes you think you're now a doctorate level graduate or physician or nurse practitioner, whatever the case is, to really digest all the information you're reading. And, you know, I cannot tell you how many times I've been in a conversation with someone, a contentious one. They're like, well, on YouTube, I watched so-and-so. And I'm like, Who's so-and-so, you know, they're not even in the medical field and they're telling you about the mechanics of COVID, you know, flying through your ear and you just suddenly said, yep, that's it. It's just odd. I feel like people have lost the ability to filter out the bad and now they're just soaking up everything. It's like, you're, you're supposed to be a sponge, but not like that. (laughs) and it is crazy. I mean, now that I'm going into being a provider, I have, you know, sometimes 15 minutes to 20, if I'm lucky, per patient, right? And if I spent 15 of my minutes with you talking about the vaccine, I'm never going to see my other patients, and that's the frustrating part for us as providers, future providers, nurses, whatever, you know, we don't get to spend as much time on our job anymore because we're dispelling so much misinformation all the time. Is that actually is the mental burnout and exhaustion? Yeah, yeah. I'd imagine if you're having to like re-explain to some to someone what something is that, or trying to uneducate them and re-educate them on something, it could be really frustrating. And I think that exists a lot in mental health too. Like I'm thinking of the advent of TikTok and people like diagnosing themselves with mental health illnesses that they heard about on TikTok. And it's like, well, like let's actually do a proper assessment and like really do like a deep dive before we just label you as like bipolar or just like label you as something that, you know. You know what a good thing, a good point to that is too. I think so much of our language has changed when it comes to mental health, you know, if you like your pens in order, all of a sudden you're like, I'm so OCD. 
<laughs> you know, or if you obsessively check the lock on your door, you're like, oh my God, I'm OCD. And I'm like, well, maybe you're a little paranoid and you just want to be safe. Maybe you're not OCD. Like obsessive compulsive disorder is a legitimate diagnosis that is very distressing for people, not just because you like colors in a certain line. And I think, you know, when people say, oh, my significant other boyfriend, girlfriend is bipolar or crazy, the language we use is so much more intense now. Um, And that probably started with millennials, to be honest, and the internet and, Mm -hmm. you know, hyping people up or tearing people down just got so aggressive. (laughs) So we start tossing around disorders as like, reasons for not liking people and that's not what they're for so in the field of therapy i can only imagine the type of um re-educating you have to do for your patients that come in legitimately thinking like yeah i have multiple personality disorder and you're like oh really tell me tell me why oh well i get mad and then i get sad and you're like girl (laughs) that is not it Yes, there's definitely a lot more to complex mental health disorders um, than people, I think, realize. Just like I imagine there's a lot of a lot of things like that, like, you know, in the uh, nursing field. Why can't I think today? Like, <laughs> I remember a little health scare that I had. My one doctor was like, oh, it's like maybe this. And then I like started Googling on the internet because I'm a tend to be a fairly anxious person, especially when it comes to health things. And I can admit that about myself. And then I go to the doctor and I was the other doctor that she referred me to. And I'm like, so my doctor said this and I did a bunch of research. And then the doctor's like, just take a deep breath. Let me tell you what's actually going on. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, okay. (laughs) So it's, but I don't argue with the doctor. Like, no, no, I read it on the internet. It's like, I kind of recognize that part of my anxiety. Right. And that's the difference. I think like, you know, if 99% of people were like that, we don't care. We we love to educate. Right. And we all have some level of anxiety about something we don't know. Like my level of anxiety is with my health, but it's probably more with finances, you know, um, mortgages in my house because it's not something I'm strong on. So that level of anxiety is fine, but I think it's the I don't want to say the invention, but the rise of people that are like, no, I read this online. This is what it is. If you don't do this for me as my provider, I'll go to someone else. And you're like, oh, okay, you can do that. But that's so severe. <laughs> I saw this meme like at the end of last year that I felt like really like highlighted this. And I'm not good at completely memorizing things. So this is just the gist of it. It said like community health hospital, all doctors and nurses are being replaced by mothers who have done their research on the internet. And I like just started laughing like so hard. I was like, poor doctors and nurses. (laughs) I'm snapping. It's so true. It's always, I don't want to blame mothers but i that is a very common thread like you know i am not a mother yet and but at the same time i'm in the business so to speak of seeing new moms and i understand that intense desire to do what's best for your child um but at the same time i think it's so lost sometimes in that area 
that these providers want what's best for your child too. But it's this argumentative arrogance that is new and fostered by the internet ever since COVID started that it's been really hard for, you know, anyone in healthcare to get behind, especially bringing up from earlier, if other people in healthcare agree with them. So now healthcare has turned away from like, we all are a common group and we all have this scientific thinking that we're going to pass on to patients. Now it's, oh, well, this provider won't give me what I want and tell me what I want to hear. I'm going to go find one who does. And it's this shopping of healthcare in a bad way to a degree. People should be able to change their providers based off the relationship they have not only just being told what they want to hear, if that makes sense. Like if you strongly believe you're diabetic, that's scientific, right? Can be a scientific rule out. And a provider tells you, no, ma'am, you are not diabetic, but you go to another one who might be like, okay, you're diabetic. I'll give you what you want. And those people exist. It makes it difficult for us to do our job. Yeah. I I just, it's so unfortunate that that exists amongst like every aspect I think of healthcare. Cause I would imagine like going to a physical therapist, there's probably different opinions about things going to mental health professionals. There's a different opinion. And if you're someone who needs your provider to agree with you rather than challenge you, you might just be getting like confirmation bias, like over and over again, reinforced. And so it'd be difficult for you to see something that's like outside of your original opinion. Yeah. And I confirmation bias is huge. And those are things that like when people are digesting the internet, I don't think they realize like how to say this without sounding like snooty. Cause I'm not trying to be, of course, but Generally, as you gain more education, you are taught how to challenge the information you get based off things like confirmation bias. We all have had it before we go through those steps. You know, things like, you know, you know, just those logical fallacies of argument, even like red herrings and things like that. People just like the normal layperson who doesn't consume that information, they don't get taught that when they just suddenly start racing through the internet. And it's like, yeah, if I think I have cancer, I can go through like four different websites and confirm that because I think (laughs) I have cancer and I'm only looking for information that confirms that. Mm -hmm. And when you try to explain that, I have actually tried to explain that to someone who thought they had cancer and they looked at me and they were like, but I have cancer. And I was like, (laughs) okay. Um, yeah, I could see that being a pretty frustrating situation, trying to convince someone that they either do or don't have something that they're not agreeing with you on. Yeah. And I just, it's very sad that we don't, we don't all come from a similar background anymore about what is science and what is not. And I think that's new in our day and age. Um, people actually thinking science is something to dispute. <laughs> it's just very odd. Yeah. Yeah. It's scientific method, guys. Like I <laughs> I promise. I promise if you use it, it's tried and true. But I just I don't understand. It hurts. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Well, I guess eventually I hope that 
there can be more people who at least are willing to have these conversations. And I think a conversation looks very different for people, but a conversation is like an exchange of ideas in a calm and rational manner rather than like yelling or kind of like really digging your heels in and like actually being open to ideas. Cause I think this is my personal opinion, but I think our world needs more of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know I don't know everything and I'm definitely not like a genius when it comes to anything medical or anything COVID. And I would even stretch to say I'm not a genius in mental health. I'm just one person trying to do the best that I can do, provide information that I am aware of Right. You know, and share that with others. And I think if we all kind of like took a position of I have more to learn and I have more that I could do to grow as a person and as a member of society, I don't know. I just think everyone would be better off for that. I 100% agree with you. And, you know, not all battles are meant to be fought or won. And I think a lot of healthcare professionals, if we can fight it, we do. If we can't, We just got to let that go. Um, Like I said, I I get 15 to 20 minutes with you. I got to make them count. And um, if you want to spend 10 of those talking about the vaccine, I'm going to mostly listen. And once I realize that maybe this is not a battle I can win, there's no need to create friction. You know what I mean? Um, I think all providers want what's best for our patients, but most of us truly believe that you should have the the freedom to choose your own health, even if that's bad or good. If you want to eat candy every day, I'll be here, you know, <laughs> like, um, but I do feel the same as you that I'm, I'm just one person who w- went to nursing school to be the best nurse I could. And then went to grad school to be the best provider I can. And whatever else happens in the background, that's pretty much it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I want to thank you so much for being on today and sharing what the field of nursing has looked like from your perspective. And hopefully people who are tuning in have learned something or if not, have opened their eyes to what, you know, perspective, how different perspectives um, exist outside of maybe like their own. Yeah, I I really appreciate you asking me um, to come on here because I definitely had a lot to say. (laughs) Um, But to be honest, you know, the millennial mental health is a really great platform because there's so many things that are new for us as millennials. And I'm really glad you have a platform to talk to people of different walks about it. Well, thank you. 